chapter 28. We're going to sort of camp there uh, tonight for just a little bit. And uh, I want to show you, you may have seen this video before because it's been around the internet uh, a lot, but I think it's so good and so appropriate for what we're doing uh, this evening that I want you to take a look. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that. You're really young. There's no app for it. <laughs> Simon says, is, uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know. So, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game. But it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says, is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it. You just have to memorize it. You study it, you memorize it. You guys, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. (laughs) You said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) (laughs) 
my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said? Talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. Pretty true. I mean, that's that's what I love about that. Well, Francis Chan, on the one hand, is, is great about making master of the obvious sort of observation. But uh, the second thing is, it's true. <laughs> um, that we have, just for such a long time, and the church said, hey, uh, making disciples looks just like what we're doing, we're doing right now. We come, we get information, and then we go out, nothing really changes, but we memorize some more stuff, you learn the Shema, all that stuff. See, the reality of making disciples is out there, and that's what we're going to begin talking about tonight. Making disciples that make disciples. And that doesn't take place in here, although we can springboard, we can equip, we can inspire, all that stuff. But the, rea the real work of it takes place out there where you are every day. And uh, the haunting thing is success in the Western church, the metric or the scorecard is about 10 12% growth every year. All I have to do is push the right levers to fill those three seats and those four annually. And then do it again the next year. You know. And as long as we're growing 10 to 12%, we're you know, way ahead of most of the churches in the United States and we're doing good. The problem is we're not making disciples. You're just hearing me preach. You know, and I hope that's a part of your spiritual formation, but, but it's not for that only. It's so that you can go out. In fact, the scripture tells us, as pastors, as overseers, we have to equip the saints for the, for the work. And so the, I think what the problem has been in the United States, at least in the last few decades, has been church growth has taken the place of making disciples. And it's just two very different uh, things. Uh, church growth is for me. Making disciples is for the kingdom. Does that make sense? It's two, it's two very different initiatives. And what we're trying to do is make a shift. That's why, we, why I've been praying for you. That's why you're here. And tonight we start talking about the mission. So let's just look at it and let, let's think about this in context for a moment. So Jesus walks with his disciples for three years, let's say. They learn to be just like him. You've caught that to this point. Uh, they are learning to teach like him, pray like him, deal with people like him, uh, value the things that he values, understand the kingdom, understand his theology, uh, all of it. Walk like he walks, right? He, he spends three years with them, and then he takes them uh, south from Caesarea uh, Philippi through Samaria. He sends them out for some test runs, and then they end up in Jerusalem where he gets crucified. Okay, so what do you think they're thinking when he gets crucified? They 
you see somebody get crucified, that's done. Nobody gets up from, from that. It's over. So what are you supposed to do? Did I waste the last three years of my life? What is the deal? Resurrection takes place uh, on the third day. He appears to, to Mary and Mary. They go back and tell the disciples and Peter. And they come back. And Jesus, in, a, in about a 40 or 50 day period, appears to the disciples about 10 times. And at the end of that, he has some words for them. Okay. And when we talk about the disciples, a lot of times we're thinking about just the 11, but we know that there were five, about 500 that were key, uh, this would have been considered uh, followers of Christ in that moment. And he, and he leaves them with some key words before he ascends to heaven, right? and before the Holy Spirit comes. He leaves them with these words. I'm just going to ask kind of a hard, it's a Strange question, but you'll identify with it. Did, did any, has anybody had a parent pass away and you were there in the moment when they shared with you like their very last words? Yeah. I have had that ex experience, you know, and, and they, those words were, are, I can't forget them. You know, they, because they were heard last, I can't forget them. Same kind of deal here. These are unforgettable words. And it's something that we have, uh, if you grew up in church, you probably memorized this. If you grew up in a Baptist church, probably the first thing you ever memorized. Uh, because it's the Baptist mantra was one thing I love about the, the Baptist church, actually, is there's, they've notoriously and historically been uh, ravenously outwardly focused, which is awesome. Uh, here's, here's the words. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now remember what we've learned so far. Jesus was walking in humanity while he was walking here. He was crucified as a human. He rose from the dead by God's uh, spirit, but as he walked sinlessly, he was walking as a man, uh, like you and like uh, me. He made disciples while he was here. He's crucified and resurrected, and now he gives us uh, these words. By the way, what happens if you see him crucified, and then later you see him resurrected? Because you know, you saw the crucifixion. You saw the scourging. You saw the brutality. Uh, that, is a, that is a traumatic death. I, have, I wish I didn't, but I have pictures from Syria of Christians being uh, crucified that missionary friends sent. It is the most gruesome thing I think I've ever seen. So awful. Awful. So to see him get up, well, he's definitely victorious and their eyes. And you know, they're ready now. He got up from that. They're ready now to charge the hill. They're not empowered necessarily yet. They will receive the Holy Spirit. Everything will change. But he gives them these words. And these words are also our mission. And this is what we need to take a closer look at tonight. 
So there are, in this section of scripture, two commands and three actions. Two commands and three actions. We're going to kind of walk through that. So the very first command is make disciples. Make disciples. Right. How many of you have ever memorized this scripture before? Okay. So a lot of us, a lot of us have memorized this scripture. This kind of goes back to the Francis Chan thing in my mind. It's like this is one of those things we memorize in church, uh, but to actually do it ourselves out there is something that not many churchgoers do. Some do, but not many churchgoers do. When in actuality, this is the the first command of this mission is to make uh, disciples. So we just go back and we look at, well, what does he mean when he says make disciples? Well, he's, he's already told them that by how he lived his life in front of them the last uh, three years. And that's exactly what he did. He made disciples who had a global and lasting impact because they also uh, made disciples. Just think about what happened. So he's crucified. They see him. He ascends to heaven. Uh, he says to wait for, for, for the Holy Spirit. They wait, they receive the Holy Spirit. Instantly, Peter preaches in the, the temple area. A couple thousand people come to Christ. Pretty instantaneously, the numbers start to grow. Uh, they gain momentum. Basically, the teaching saturates Jerusalem. You either accept it or reject it, but basically the teaching, it, it, it saturates Jerusalem. It goes to Judea and Samaria, and within 30 years, it's all over Asia Minor. I mean... In the face of Rome and every, in every location, you know, Dionysus, Aphrodite, Zeus, all of them, Asclepius, these guys take the gospel there and everywhere they go, they make disciples who make disciples. It's not just, I got Travis to fill out a card and he checked it and became a member of the church. No, I invested in Travis and Trav, Travis reproduced and invested in other people. That's how movements take place. And so uh, Jesus has already lived that out with them, discipling them, and they make disciples who uh, make disciples. Colossians 1.6, in the letter to Colossae, Paul makes this statement about the gospel. It says that the, this gospel, which has come to you, now Colossae is in Turkey, it's in Asia Minor, it's unexcavated right now, like I went there, you see the sign, you climb up to the top of the hill. They haven't dug one thing. I was so disappointed. Like, oh, Colossians, I love it. It's my favorite letter, but nobody cares about digging this place up. Anyway, so the gospel which has come to you, listen to these words, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing. And it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So from these disciples... In Jerusalem, now all the way to Colossae and Asia Minor, Paul is saying to the Colossian people, look, the gospel's come to you, it's bearing fruit among you, but also in the whole world, the known world. So how did this happen? They took seriously, we need to make disciples. They weren't building, uh, let me back up and say, they were not shooting for 10 to 12 percent growth in a church they were uh, expanding the kingdom for movement across the across the world so it's a very different thing and it and it comes through this driving focus of jesus ministry to make 
disciples. And it happens. Uh, within 30 years, you could say, it is definitely happening. Um, they get three actions. Okay, so from this Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you get, you get three actions that, that stick out. Number one is this. We, if, you, if you memorize it early in your life, you might have memorized it in the King James when it, when it says, like, go ye therefore. Uh, in the uh, a lot of the newer translations, it says just go, and people focus on go. But the, the tense of the, the Greek literally translates as you are going. Okay, so this is not an event-based discipleship. It's not me uh, trying to you know have a bunch of bouncy houses out here, having you know a bunch of food in here, trying to get everybody to come here. The gospel. That's not this picture. This picture is them going out, and as they are going, they are ma making disciples. And the same uh, methodology is going to ring true for us, and it's ringing through all over the, the world uh, in hard places that you make disciples with the people that you are connected with. Now, if you ever want to read something really interesting, which is about probably 3% of the people of you in this room would want to read this book, but I'm going to tell you. It's called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And it, it is a sociological sort of historical survey of this movement. And you can, you can actually trace the, the numbers from different angles and estimates and that kind of thing. But it's unbelievable what happens here. And so these 11 make disciples who make disciples, and they just do it as they're going. Now, they get a roadmap, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost part, parts of the uh, earth, which we are now uh, a part of, the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay. So uh, it's as you're going, though. So where'd you go today? Work. Work. Where do we go tonight? Oh, where do we go this weekend? <laughs> Sleeping, church, football game, work all. It's all pretty normal, pretty mundane, pretty, you know, average stuff. Think about the Shema. I mean, the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, we say. But if you follow it in Deuteronomy, it's uh, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you get up. Pretty normal, pretty mundane, pretty as you're going. This is the emphasis of this, of this, this passage. It, it is a definite as you're going. So what that means is, just to put it in very plain English, is that you are a disciple maker at work. You are a disciple maker at home. You are a disciple maker if you run to the grocery store. You're a disciple maker if you go to the gym somewhere. You're a disciple maker wherever you go with your neighbors. You're a disciple maker. That's what you do. You're like Peter, James, John, all, all of those guys. See, where we get it flip-flopped in our head is we think, I'm the disciple maker. And your best, I mean, if you could just get somebody to come to church with you, that would be it. I'm not asking you uh, on the upfront to invite somebody to come to our worship gathering. I'm asking you to invite them into relationships so they can see your life so that they can hear of Jesus and see if it corresponds with sort of who you are and how you smell, so to speak. You're inviting them to Jesus. You're not inviting them to Bay Area. The kingdom is much bigger than Bay Area. Way bigger. 
you know, 10 years from now, 30, 40% of you might have transferred to some other state. You, know, you might be living some other place. The investment's not for Bay Area, it's for the kingdom. Right? Your investment is for the kingdom. So hopefully one day you get to bring your disciples to Bay Area. But the bottom line is you're inviting them to Jesus with your life. And that's what we're going to be we're going to be talking about. But you're doing it as you're going. Those guys you work with, those, all those people, it's as you're going. Now here's the second action we get. It's baptizing. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why do we baptize? Because we're Baptists? Yeah. No. Although, I'm glad we baptize the way that we do. I think it's biblical and, and right and all those kinds of things. We baptize because baptism is an external identification with Jesus. We are saying, look what Jesus has done to me on the inside, and I'm identifying with him uh, to the body. Okay? So when we're told to uh, go and make disciples, as you're going, make disciples baptizing them, that, that means that you're going to be a part of, with the people that you go uh, to every day, you're going to be a part of them coming to know who Jesus is, converting to Christ, and then baptizing them. Okay? Uh, I don't think that pastors you know, own the right on baptism. It's an ordinance of the church and the New Testament for sure, but disciple makers who make disciples baptize baptize okay so so you're talking about this second sort of action that is uh baptizing you're helping people come to know christ and then identifying with him in the body of christ so that everybody knows hey uh, i'm a believer and by the way if you haven't been baptized you're here you'd say i'm a christ follower i'm a christian i've confessed christ i trust him uh all of that but i haven't been baptized you should be baptized um, not because it miraculously saves you, but because it's in obedience to him. You're identifying uh, with him, with the body. So if that's you, think about it. Shoot me an email, whatever. Say, I, I need to do that. Uh, that's, so as you're going, make disciples. See them converted to the point that they want to identify with the body. Now, I'm going to ask you, in however long you've been a Christian, have you ever been a part of seeing somebody from your normal circles of influence converted to Christ through your conversation and relationship, and then baptized and integrated into the body of Christ. I mean, it is a beautiful thing. And when you taste it once, you will want to taste it over and over and over and over again. But what I find is that when people are honest, most people in the church have never uh, led some, made a disciple like that. Seen the conversion out of sort of a normal relationship in the context of the world, and, uh, and, and then seeing them uh, all the way through to, to baptism. So Jesus told them, as you're going, make disciples, just like I made disciples, do it the same way I did, and uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's very distinctive. Okay, so we're not, uh, here's the big argument. Um, I talked to my Jewish friend. He says to me that, uh, my problem with you is you think Jesus is God. There's one God. Father. Right? Talk to my Muslim friend. My problem with you is you believe Jesus is God. There's one God. His name is Allah. We're saying, no, the scripture teaches and our experience proves 
that uh, God is triune. He's a Trinitarian of sorts from the beginning. He's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when we baptize someone in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are baptizing him into the one God that is triune, separate from him. He's not like Allah. He's not like sort of the, uh, the idea of Yahweh that is there, there's only a Father type. You know, right? They can't be. It's very distinctive. Someone has to, in my opinion, buy that in order to be baptized in it. And only the Holy Spirit does some, that in someone's uh, life. So, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we get this phrase, teaching them. I don't know why I wrote teaching other to obey. Probably the phone rang or something. But uh, <laughs> teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Okay. So, that must mean that there's something that takes place after this baptism that's broader, longer, uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So I always ask this question when I'm taking people to Israel. Uh, when I take people to Israel, we come to a pomegranate tree. Pom have you ever opened a pomegranate? There's a million seeds in there. I don't know how many, but the rabbis say there's 613 seeds in there. You know why they say that? One seed for every command in the scripture. So I was asked, so, so how many of these commands are we supposed to teach them to obey? What did Jesus say? All of them. Now, what, are, what does he mean when he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you? What does he mean? Okay, say it, sorry. God and love thy neighbor. Okay, so let's go with the Jesus yoke. He sums up the commands like this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hangs on uh, those two. Why aren't you wearing tassels today? Why do you eat shrimp and bacon? Most of you eat bacon, right? So I thought, I could smell it. Um, it's turkey bacon. <laughs> Those of us who have already had heart attacks, we're eating turkey bacon. Um, that's a, that's a whole other lesson right there. So, uh, so which commands do we teach them? So we're gonna we're gonna teach them to live His way. He didn't come to abolish the law; He came to fulfill it. So His yoke is that He is, and His yoke is the fulfillment of the law. It sums it all up. So we're teaching uh, to live his way. Now, uh, Spader points out in his book that you're reading that he made uh, a ton of commands, something, something like, uh, I don't remember the number, but a ton of commands related to you uh, in, in the New Testament, and about half of those are related to disciple-making. Right? I just say this. I agree with Dan. I mean, Dan is uh, very analytical. Uh, he's going to pick pick all those out and say that's a disciple making that that's a disciple making i'm saying this like in the big picture if you uh can make a disciple who loves god with all their heart and loves people like god does you, you've made a jesus uh disciple uh and so uh everything hangs on that so you're going to teach them now uh teaching them to obey everything i've commanded to you how, how, what does that look like you know well that looks like you keep walking together um, so I'll use Joey because I know he won't care. Uh, Joey Molas. How many of you know Joey in one way, or shape, or form? So, so Joey came to Christ from a 
the, you know, kind of a, the first time I ever met him, he told me to F off. Uh, basically, that's where we started. So I was like, I like this guy. He doesn't care. I'm a pastor. So that's where we started. And he came to Christ to make a long story uh, story short. But uh, his words didn't necessarily change just because he got baptized, right? So we had to keep walking and talking. And uh, we had to talk about some other things, too. Things like marriage and family. And we had to talk about some other things, too, like uh, how do you... How do you uh, how do you make things happen for the kingdom? Do you pray or do you just try to like make things happen? You know, we had talked about all these things. So you don't just start, stop uh, investing in someone just because they got baptized, which is another problem in the church growth movement. We got baptized. We counted their number. Look how many we baptized this year. Reported to the convention. Fastest growing church. One of the top 100 fastest growing churches in United States, but we're not making disciples. So we continue then to teach them everything that Jesus uh, commanded. And that's a that's a big deal and sort of a lifelong process. And I'd say that uh, we need people that we are investing in. We need other people that are investing in us. You know, who's discipling me and who am I discipling? Or kind of those two questions, okay? So, so this is the deal. We got this command, make disciples. We do it as we are going. We we see to see them converted to Christ and baptized, and then we keep hanging with them to teach them to obey everything uh, that uh, that Jesus commanded. And one of those commands is what? Make disciples. So we've got to teach them how to make disciples. We've got to train them to make disciples in the same way that we make disciples, which is hopefully the same way that Jesus made uh, disciples. This is very, very simple, and everything we're going to talk about methodologically over the next few weeks is very, very simple, but we've deviated uh, in, a, in a great, great way, uh, and so this is what we're trying to come, come back to. Now, here's the second command. It's a little, uh, a little hidden, but if you go back to uh, the Matthew 28 scripture, you get a word in the ESV, it's behold, and other translations is like, surely I am with you always. Uh, even to the end of the earth. The idea is that you are to be sure or behold that he is with you, to keep your eyes fixed on him, to be certain, to be sure. Surely I'm with you always to the, to the end of the uh, earth. And so in this simple process, Jesus said, I did it for three years. My 11 and 30 years basically took Israel and Asia Minor uh, for the gospel, and then over time, over a 2,000 year period, millions and millions and millions of people have followed uh, Christ, and uh, it will continue. You can't be, be, you can't be Jesus. I mean, no matter how much you persecute him and his people, the more you persecute him, the more disciples there are. It's crazy, but that's how it is. Okay, so, so he said that's because he said he's going to be with. And, uh, and we, we know Peter. Remember Peter? Peter is the disciple uh, who gets mad and, like, chops the ear off the, the, the guard. And, you know, Jesus puts the ear back and says, put your dagger away. That's not how we do this, that kind of thing. Then uh, Peter denies Jesus that night, like, three times. And then the rooster crows and he's humiliated. 
And then Jesus raises again, and we get this little bitty but profound phrase, tell, to go tell my disciples and Peter. Why? Because Peter is the one that feels the, the shabbiest right now. He's the denier. Uh, they get, they, they see Jesus. Uh, he is ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. And Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit along with the other disciples. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit then. Uh, surely he is with him always. Okay, so this sealing of the Holy Spirit, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you, you as a believer, you can't rip that out. He is in you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, Peter is then, uh, not only is he <coughs> beholding that, not only is he sure of it, but it makes him bold. It makes him bold. So much so, I want, you to, I, want, I want you to hear this sermon that Peter preaches, I mean, out of the book of Acts. And uh, it's in Acts chapter 2. Begin, I'm just going to start in uh, verse 14. So remember, denier. So he's, when you deny Christ, you're fearful, fearful for your own life, uh, all that. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it is, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's Shavuot, which is the Hebrew for Pentecost. Pentecost is like a Greek, Greek word meaning uh, 50 days. And it's uh, 50 days that, uh, from the uh, Passover to Shavuot. Shavuot celebrates the giving of the word, the provision of the word when Moses came down the mountain with the tablets and all that. It's celebrating that. This is not the first Pentecost. So some, people, some Christians think, well, yeah, Pentecost was right there in Acts 2. It starts back in like Exodus. So uh, it's been going on, and everybody's gathered there, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, and so much so that people are like, what is going on? They're hearing things in their own language and all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit confusing, and Peter stands up to give a message, and it says, but Peter, verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. So he <coughs> begins to use uh, the book or the pro a prophet that everybody knows. He's speaking totally uh, for people of Jerusalem, totally their language here. And it says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and all sons. And all your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs in the earth below. Blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon to blood. Uh, before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it for David's sake concerning him. I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life and will make full of gladness with your presence. Make me full of gladness. Brothers, I say to you the confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him who he would set on his, his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all eyewitnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. That's a pretty bold sermon. I mean, there, uh, in my, I think this is taking place around the southern steps, which is outside the, the royal stoa, right on the Temple Mount. You're... half a mile from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which I think is the crucifixion site. I mean, these same people were shouting, crucify him. Now he's preaching and saying, look who you killed. The ones the prophet said was coming. The one that David was promised would sit on the throne and, and, and he would be his descendant whose throne would reign forever and ever. Look what you did. That's bold. <laughs> now when they heard this, verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's so much more there that we could talk about. But what I want you to understand is that Peter... In that moment, because of the Holy Spirit inside of him, is sure. He's become bold because he's sure. Now, think about what if this plays a totally different way. So Peter, the eleven, they're there. Men of Jerusalem and others are gathered there. And they think to themselves, well, we don't want to really offend these guys because either we don't want to hurt their feelings that they killed the Messiah, or... Uh, we don't want to get hurt ourselves. So let's just keep going. We'll see. We'll pray for opportunities, though, and see what the <laughs> Lord has. You know? what if? And I think we do that, sort of, a lot in our circles of influence. As, as we're going, it's like, I don't want to risk it with Chris because I know he's not a believer. And maybe he's my boss. And I don't know how that's going to affect my, my job. Or... I know he's Catholic, I'm Baptist, and you know, I don't know, I don't know what he believes, and I don't want to offend him or whatever. I mean, there's a million reasons, right? A million reasons why we don't we wouldn't engage. But this command is important to us because when we understand it, then we are sure. And if you've been here the last two weeks, you know that we're sure that we can do what Jesus did and even more, because he left and gave us the Holy Spirit. 
is with us always to the very end of the age. So the scripture uh, says, two commands, three actions. Now, if you have all this boldness inside of you, some of you are more bold than others naturally. If you have all this boldness inside of you or zeal for the gospel, zeal for Christ, and you don't understand the motive behind it, you're going to hurt yourself and hurt other people, right? Uh, you've, you've heard of the uh, proverbial Bible thumper, right? Like, and uh, it's never helpful, you know, to beat somebody on the head with the, the scriptures. And so uh, we also get from Jesus' own mouth our motive, which is the great commandment. One day he was asked, uh, um, he was asked this way by a lawyer, uh, what is the greatest command? It was a trap. It was, uh, it was to get him to sort of narrow down his understanding so that they could say, well, how can you say this one is greater than that one and that whole thing? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, where does that come from? The Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Everybody knows. This is, I mean, everybody knows. This is the... This is the Pledge of Allegiance for the Jews. Shema Yisrael. Right? So everybody knows. This is the great and first commandment, right? Everybody knows that. And the second is like, hey, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is out of the book of Leviticus. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. And it's brilliant. And the attorneys that are worth their salt standing there, the lawyers, they know it's brilliant. Because what he does is he takes 613 commands and summarizes them, not into 10, but 2. And the 10 fall under those 2. And if you look at 613, they all fall under those 2. The love of God and the love of people. But the, the, the thread in both of those things is this one word. Love. Love. Now, this is, um, we have enough, we have a, a difficult enough time loving God with all our heart. I mean, you think about that for a minute. Like, what does it mean to love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my uh, strength? Yet, yeah, that is the, the command, this, this like, love of God. If you love God like that, sin will weigh heavily on you. Like you can't sin flippantly or lightly because it's so it's so heavy. Because God is so holy, right? Uh, and thank God that it is. Um, but it's hard enough. Then you start thinking, I love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then and everybody's like in the text, everybody's question becomes like, okay, who's my neighbor? This is the very next question, and actually, it's a hot topic among the rabbis of the day because Jesus' yoke is like the, the hit thing on the streets. And so everybody, including uh, these lawyers, are asking, well, and then who is your neighbor? Okay, who, am, who are you supposed to love? Is it the people that live on your right and your left, that share a field with you, that you go to uh, synagogue with? Who is it? Right. So Jesus tells a story found in Luke chapter 10 about uh, we call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, but it could be called the parable of the Good Neighbor. Okay. Who is who is my neighbor? 
is the question, the beginning of that parable, and Jesus tells a story, and the story goes something like uh, this. So uh, <clears throat> a Samaritan, were you here Sunday, you learned about Samaritans, was that last Sunday? This was last Sunday, right? Samaritans. Uh, half Jews, big history behind why they became that way. Uh, definitely like prejudice and racism back and forth. They separate their worship, like we're going to worship over here, you worship over there, we're not going to talk to you, especially, you know, all, all this, there's a lot there. But definitely a wall, racial divide sort of wall. Blown into geography and religion and everything else. So, a Samaritan, Jesus picks the Samaritan uh, uh, as the hero in this story on, on purpose. So, a man is going down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's walking along the road. He, he falls into the hands of robbers, into the hands of uh, thieves. He's beaten and left for dead. Okay, so this trail, I mean, if you think this aisle is skinny, that's probably about like the trail. It's 18 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. If Jeremy lays here, and it says that I pass on the other side, it is literally like, like that. It's not a wide girth. You know, there's no no feeder road here, you know. It is uh, literally having to steer, you know, maybe step over in some ways. Uh, so uh, three people come by, a uh, priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The uh, priest comes by, he passes by on the other side. There are all kinds of theories about, well, why did the priest pass by on the other side? You would expect the priest to stop. So would all the people that were here in the story in the first century context. He didn't stop. Then a Levite came by. From he's a Cohen. He's from the line of you know Aaron and all those guys. And of course these guys are going to stop. But no, no, he didn't. He didn't stop. He didn't want to be unclean necessarily or anything like that. He had temple duties, all these kinds of things. So he passed by on the other side. Then a Samaritan comes, the one that everybody's like racial against, prejudiced against. He comes. Jesus picks this guy. I love this about Jesus because he's not afraid to stir up like a hornet's nest. And so the Samaritan comes. He, he picks the guy up. He puts him on his, uh, his own beast. He takes him to a town. He gets him a hotel room. He gives the innkeeper uh, money and says, take care of him till I get back. And then uh, whatever, whatever he, he spends above and beyond that, put it on my tab. I'll take care of it when I get back. What did, it, what did it cost this Samaritan? It cost him time. He was on a journey somewhere. He deviated. It cost him time. Uh, what else did it cost? It cost him money. Um, it may have cost him in other ways. Who knows? But he took care, care, of, this, care of this guy. Jesus says, which one do you think? The good neighbor. It's the Samaritan. Samaritan, obviously. And what's different about the Samaritan and about the priest and the Levite? The difference is love. He chose to love somebody enough to meet their physical needs, to take care of them, all that. It's the point of uh, Jesus' story. He was the good, the good neighbor. Uh, he chooses somebody that's uh, controversial, a Samaritan, to say, look, it's not about uh, what you look like, where you're from. It's about your heart. So... Uh, who is your neighbor then? It's really anyone in your circles, anyone in your path, anybody that you come across uh, every day. And the question is, do we love God and love people enough to make disciples? 
in our circles of influence and the places we go every day and what we do. So here's what's at stake, just in case you've forgotten. Here's what's at stake. Uh, God is holy. He is a perfect judge who will execute justice. And he has every right to do so. He's the only one that has right. He has every right to do so. Sin enters the picture back in Genesis. I've proven that sin exists with my own life. Has anybody else uh, proven that it's real or all have sin and fall short of the glory of God? Right? So he sent, prophesied, and all that. We're going to talk about that this Sunday, like the thread of Jesus all through the, the Old Testament. He sent his son to redeem or to buy back people uh, from the penalty of their sin, which the scripture says death. And so he actually, the, the scripture says he takes his wrath out on Jesus. He makes him a propitiation while he's on the cross. That is a substitute is sort of the right word, but it's more robust than that. It, it is a, he, he is taking the wrath of God in my place. Because I deserve it because of my sin. He's sinless. He takes the wrath of God. God uh, judges, executes justice on Jesus. Jesus overcomes. And anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Saved from what? Everybody thinks hell initially, which is, is part of it. But worse. It's separation. And wrath is the wrath of God according to the scripture. So what's at stake for your co-workers, for your neighbors, for your family, for your relatives, you know, all that stuff? What's at stake is that justice is going to be executed. What you have as a Christ follower is uh, a propitiation, a substitute. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he really did overcome the penalty of sin and death. Uh, you were saved. But maybe your coworker hasn't hasn't done that. Maybe they don't know what it's like to walk with Christ. So what's at stake is hugely eternal, right? And this is where I think we become sort of numb um, for whatever reason. And I worry, truthfully, in the West that it's a hardening of God. Just like you you, you read in the scriptures, there are times that God hardened men's hearts, hardened nations' hearts. But there's a numbness to the lostness. Uh, in America. And that could be judgment, or it could be our own apathy. It could be a lot of things. But the eternal consequences are the same, no matter why that is. So, what changes for me, instead of being an IT, like, business owner, guru, you're a disciple maker, who also is an IT business owner and guru. And that's your circle. And it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. You're a public school teacher, you know? They tell you don't. I mean, I don't know how to navigate that world. I get to say whatever I want to at this moment in time. You know? I don't know how to navigate that. So when you work at NASA, they say don't. I don't know how to navigate that, but I do know this is the command, the higher command. And I do know 
that when we execute with a proper motive, you're not, you're not exempt from persecution. But when your motive is love, often favor from God follows and things happen that you would imagine. Like a couple thousand people come to Christ in Jerusalem on the steps. So our motive is always uh, love. Love of God means that his authority is higher, his commands are higher, his ways are higher. Love of people because the people that you work with every day that are in your home, that are on your street. Um, the scripture says, wide is the path that leads to destruction, narrow is the gate. Anybody can walk through the gate, it's that gate's salvation, but it's, it's a wide path. It's not like this little one. It is a wide path. That leads to, to destruction. So that's what we got to know. That's what we got to know is at stake. It's a big deal. So we have a mission and we have a uh, motive, and our motive is love. And so the question is do you love God and do you love people enough to take a chance in the, in the context of the relationship, in the context of your circles of influence, to actually work the methodology and make disciples that we're going to be talking about over the next? This is the mission of Christ. It's the mission. Okay, so here's what we're going to try to do. It is 7.30. Uh, we are going to try to break into tribes. So if you're a tribal leader, I need you to just raise your hand. Okay, now if you're not a tribal leader, look around and try to find your yours. Hopefully you met them last week. If you didn't, I'm just going to have to leave it up to you to yell and scream the name of your tribal leader until, uh, until you find them. If you can't, come to me. I'll get you in a tribe. Now, here's what you're going to do. We're going to break up. You can stay in here. You can spread out anywhere on this top floor that you want to. Uh, there are three questions at the end of this, uh, this section of, of the text on page 39 and 40 in your book. I want you to look at those three questions. I want you to discuss them. The tribal leader, all you have to do is ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. You don't have to have answers. You just have to ask the question to get it going. Then, uh, then we'll discuss, and then we're going to pray. And here's what I want you to pray. Hopefully you got my email today. I hope you had a chance at work, wherever you were, to look up and think, who around me needs Jesus? I want you to pray for that person. Whoever it is, we're just going to pray for that person. It's 7.30. I'd like you to come back in here at 7.50. So I want to spend 20 minutes in these groups, three questions, and time to pray. If you're just like totally unaware of the concept of tribes and you don't know where you go, you come see me and I'll get you uh, situated with the, with the group, all right? Go for it. I'm right here if you need assistance. I wasn't here last week. Yeah, Mark Reynolds' tribe. He wasn't here last week. He was in Honduras. Mark is right here now. Uh, so you met last week without him. He's here. So if you need need assistance and you need to try mark ben stringer where'd you go mark i'm andrew andrew nice to meet you ben stringer absolutely how's it going i saw you Good. early you said when'd you get back you needed back more people how long were you here you need to try you guys need tribes you got them. Is it cool? oh, huh? 
Ben, Mark needs to go with you, and Pete needs to go with you. Is that something on the side? Hey, Brian, is, is, is Roy Beatty here tonight? Roy Beatty is here. Roy, raise your hand. All right. Hey, Mark. Anybody need a tribe that doesn't have one? Okay, why don't you guys do it? Yeah. Okay, everybody got space to spot. Just want to make sure everybody's in a group. Okay, only two other guys are here in this tribe tonight. If anybody needs one, anybody needs a tribe. There you go, Jimmy, jump in there. Aaron. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> 
So what I'll do this week for you is uh, I'm going to re-email sort of the tribal list. I'm going to get you tribe leaders, if you would, to just contact anybody that wasn't here in your group tonight. Try to get them uh, here. We also have a list of name tags that are not here, uh, guys that aren't here. So we'll, I'll, I'll reach out to them as well. Um, next week, we're going to start methodology. So we'll actually overview the method that we're going to teach over the next uh, few weeks called four chair discipleship it's a very simple uh method very simplistic pattern after what we see jesus do in scripture so it's a really big deal i was reminded out in the hallway and i just have a few minutes and uh, i want to get your sort of take on this you guys can come in and have a seat if you want um so roger and i were actually talking and this is uh this is so so true and we we hear it and talk to guys all the time and uh a lot of times people don't make disciples uh, because they're struggling with something internally that they can't like beat on their own. And so they don't invite people to discipleship or, or kind of focus on making disciples because they've never experienced freedom themselves in Christ. And they're like, they know all the right answers and all that kind of stuff. They've never experienced uh, freedom themselves. 
I'm just going to tell you uh, five minutes of my story, and I'm going to ask you uh, if, if this is something you need. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you, and then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and just say, hey, that's a topic I'd like to, like to talk about. So when I was at Baylor University, I was an RA in the dorm to help pay the bills and all that stuff. And uh, there was no porn allowed in the dorm. So guess who gets to be the porn police? Uh, back then it wasn't on phones and internet and all that. It was on magazines, right? So I'm like once a week like walking through. I got to take this, take that, take the other, and take it out to the trash. And one, one <coughs> day, whenever it was, I opened it. And uh, I grew up in a, like, I'd probably seen it before, but it something like in my head exploded you know and it started uh, a journey uh, in a negative way uh, all that time and it took really a spiritual father in my life someone who had known me for a long time to really help me experience freedom in, in Christ and uh, a lot of times like churches don't have a place for that right like okay here's the great commission uh, here's what you're supposed to do but if you're struggling with something like that in your heart, like I remember about myself, like I was already feeling called to ministry, right? And so what do you do with that, that duplicitous sort of thing that's going on inside of you? And so what the enemy wants to do is sh shut you up about Jesus, make you think God isn't as good as he uh, appears to be, makes you think freedom's... Uh, not really possible when you think you can't, you know, sort of overcome something, you're addicted or, or whatever. So, uh, I learned so much about Jesus through Steve Rhodes when he discipled me sort of out of that. And he taught me how to be, how to be free. Right? And it changed the, the course of my life. Uh, in a weird way, I'm sort of, uh, I'm thankful I'm free but I can also understand a person when they say they're struggling with something they don't feel like they can they can beat. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So uh, Roger and I were talking out in the hallway, and we we're sort of like, you know, how many of these guys in here? I don't mean porn, but it could be it could be anything. You know, <coughs> how many of these guys in here like we're fired up to make disciples, and they're thinking to themselves like, I'm not even a good disciple because fill in the fill in the blank. And I was telling, the reason it came up is that I'm telling them, I was telling them, I'm going to teach a, a seminar in Louisville, and they, they asked me to teach uh, in September, late September at this conference, they asked me to teach <coughs> freedom. Uh, and I th actually do teach that stuff. Uh, he goes, what, what about these guys in here? Are you going to teach it to those guys in there? there? I'm like, <laughs> Not on my agendas, my syllabus. Um, so if that's real for you, and like we can't do that in five minutes, but but uh, we could take a week or two and really focus on once we get past the methodology a little bit, just like how do you experience freedom in Christ and maintain that? How does that happen? What is the stronghold? Where did it come from? How do you get out of that cycle? Um, I don't know. So, if I'm the only one that's ever been there, I'll just be the only one standing here raising my hand. But if if that's something you would like to 
learn in the midst of this over the next few weeks? Just raise your hand so I can see. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we will talk about that uh, soon. I thought it was just me. So. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, let's uh, let's look this week with eyes wide open. People that uh, need the hope of Christ that are in our circles. Let's think about the action of as we're going. Uh, and next week we'll 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 definitely start talking about how do we invite people to relationship with Him. And then I'll work this stuff in. Uh, I'll probably have probably two weeks dedicated to it because it, I'll probably take more than one. Uh, and probably two is not enough, but two will get you going. So uh, we'll go there. So let's, let's pray. Um, Father, thanks so much for uh, tonight, and thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Um, we're so thankful. Thankful, uh, Lord Jesus, that you loved us and gave yourself for us. And uh, Lord, we want to be your disciples. We don't want to be duplicitous. We want to be the same inside as we are outside. Uh, and in that way, free. Lord, thank you for setting us free. Thank you that you came to set the captives free. Um, Lord, when when uh, when you do that in our lives, it just uh, it just makes us want to make disciples because you're so you're so good. And uh, and so we thank you. We thank you for that. Um, God, I pray for these men. Would you give them favor with people out there in their jobs and in their streets and, and everywhere they go every day? Uh, give them a eternal eyes. Let them see just past the work of the day to the mission that, that they're supposed to be involved in. and uh, Give them uh, a sweet time with you every every week. God, guide their steps. Uh, let them think your thoughts. Let them have wisdom that comes from you. God, use the work of their hands for your glory, uh, like the direction of their feet, the, the meditation of their heart, all of it. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. See Matthew. After we finished, we were talking about photographs and stuff. And I was standing there, and all of a sudden I felt landlight. I looked down, and my entire face is covered in hands. Where were you? Oh, from outside. Yeah. So we have a tool, we need a bow and also a spray for all that stuff. Uh, I'm going to wear waders. Yeah, yeah. just blend in. I think like your floor. I'm talking about Quest. I know. I know. So please give me three minutes to pitch. Because this is when the guys understand that you're not alone and everybody's hands are get an email from me tomorrow and we'll set up a time to talk. And during the time that you get in, Hey, 
Is that too tight? We can go in my office. If you want a table, we can sit there. If you want to sit at a... It, it doesn't matter to me. I don't, just I don't my need office. a table. It'll be okay. a little more chill. Hey, buddy. You doing all right? Yeah, how are you? Feeling all right? Yeah, I found a, had an echo done yesterday. Thank you. Yeah,